Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to Truest Blood, the official True Blood podcast. I'm Kristen Bauer. And I'm Deborah Ann Wool. And you've been invited in. Welcome back to Truest Blood, where we sink our fangs into the series episode by episode. Episode 103. So good. It's called (laughs) Mine. It's written by Alan Ball and directed by John Dahl. This episode was all about sex and magic. Mm. So we'll talk a little bit about what that means in the True Blood world. Uh Uh-huh. means a lot in this world. And vampire politics. We're finding out a lot about this world, the hierarchy and the structure. It's fascinating. Yes. And uh, speaking of structure and magic together, we are also going to be interviewing Nathan Barr and Gary Calamar, who were in charge of the score and the soundtrack, respectively, for the show. So they've got a lot of really interesting things to say. Yeah, they really informed us how to feel about every moment. Yes. But first... This week on True Blood. Hoping to speak to Bill alone, Sookie is disturbed to instead find him entertaining a cadre of big, strong, nasty vamps. Things go south in the Compton parlor in more ways than one. (laughs) And to protect Sookie, Bill stakes his claim by declaring... Stop! Suki is mine. While this gets the trio to back down, tensions remain high, and Suki is left with some serious doubts about dating the undead. Don and Jason are back at it, but all these sexy vampires in town are causing Jason a bit of an identity crisis as town stud. This prevents him from, well, performing as said stud. He deflects his problems onto Don, who then chases him out with some choice words and a few well-placed bullets. You are obnoxious and full of yourself and dumber than a box of hair. And now you can't even get it up? There's no reason why I should be seeing you anymore. Tara and Sam also discuss their sex lives, or lack thereof, and find the solution with one another. Unfortunately for Tara, the next morning she finds her mother drunk and belligerent and full of venom for her daughter. You the devil child! You ain't no child of mine! Tara crashes at Lafayette's to discover he's got quite a few businesses going on in Bon Tom, one of which involves the intimate servicing of local politicians. Another is dealing V to the likes of Jason, who will do anything to get his uh, <clears throat> morning glory back. Hey, you said all I had to do was dance. Okay, dance. Oh, lover, you're going to make me clutch my pearls. <laughs> Later, Sookie's mind and libido are still battling out whether to pursue a relationship with Bill when Sam calls and asks her to go check on Dawn, who didn't come into work today. She does, only to find Dawn had good reason for skipping work. She was dead. <laughs> So let's start with sex. Let's start with the sex, because there's a lot of sex going on this episode, which is, you know, saying something for True Blood. Um, Right, right, right. (laughs) But it's interesting because the sex this episode, as far as I can tell, seems mostly sort of transactional. You know, we Uh, start with. Yeah, right. We start with Jason and Dawn and Jason, you know, his whole identity is as this you know, cock of the walk, yes. bon tomp stud, right? Uh, and it's interesting because I think about his life and probably that's, you know, he's not that smart, not that 
you know, right. uh, don't have that much as a box to offer. Of hair. As, as to quote Dawn. <laughs> that, I, I love that. Obnoxious, oh. full of yourself, dumb as a dumb box, as a box of, hair. of hair. And now you can't even get it up. What good are you for? Yes. Great. But but how true that is and how much Jason must feel that mm. that even as a horn dog and we might want to judge him for it uh, and probably should he <laughs> I think he spent his whole life with that's all he's ever had. And it's all right. the men in Bon Top have ever looked up to him for. Right. And now vampires come into town and that's for the first time being threatened right. and he's having to deal with insecurity. Yes. So I, you know, the fact that he role plays as a vampire and then shames the fang banger, you know, in his word, uh-huh. uh, it's, it's such a, it's so exposing of him. I think it is so exposing of him and sends him on quite a journey. We're going to see yeah. when he goes to see Lafayette Mm-hmm. I love how he asked for Viagra and <laughs> Lafayette's response is no. It's legal. You can get it at a pharmacy. I do. Oh, and he calls him puppy dog. Yes. Oh, yes. that was probably another improvisational I'm, I'm moment. I'm sure that it was. I'm almost positive that it was. Yes. And then Jason's there. And he, again, another transactional sexual relationship where he's going to perform for Lafayette's website in order to afford the V. Uh, that's going to give him back his manhood. And is that a Laura Bush mask? Did they say <laughs> like might be. later Tara says, I can't believe I just saw. Did I just see that? <laughs> we'll have to see. I think. Yeah, it's so it's so funny. And again, I watched that scene and I go, how fucking fearless is Ryan Quanton? I mean, I know he's fit and, you know, there's maybe some confidence that comes with that. But gosh, I mean, to stand there in his tidy whities and dance. <laughs> I don't know a lot of people that have the 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 guts for that, you know. I do not. I, whew. yeah, no. <laughs> and then on top of that, to be as talented as he is, you know, I think yeah. that's really you get the gold mine there. He's fearless. He's and he's talented. Uh, so yeah, can't can't ask for more from an actor. He's so sweet. He, yeah. and he's so funny. He's brilliant. Yeah. Well, then I think, you know, luckily Dawn sees through all Mm -hmm. of Jason's bullshit. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I again, you know, we've been talking about that fantastic line of hers as well. (laughs) Um, She comes out and she says, uh, you know, just because you've lost your heart on doesn't mean you have to have a breakdown. Believe it or not, Jason, the world doesn't revolve around your dick. That is the most perfect line, isn't it? In in her dialogue. Yeah. She just slays Jason and tells us all about him. Yeah, she pins him down, you know, to a dime. It's so impressive and says all of the things that I think we're all thinking and potentially helps him start this journey of maybe over seven long seasons. The poor guy. Finding something more. And Lynn Collins throwing it out to that actress (sighs) who plays Dawn. She is so beautiful and so talented and so fearless. She's amazing and so funny. She's fantastic with all that. And then, yes, so then we have Lafayette, who Mm -hmm. has a literal transactional relationship. Mm -hmm. He is being paid by a state senator to uh, to service him. Another great line on that. Right. Yes. Right. We both wrote down where she's like, so you're a prostitute. And he says, I'm an entrepreneur. Which he is. And he makes that point that he's, you know, working as a short order cook. He's working on the road crew. You know, these are not things that are going to get him out of Bon Temps. So he is also dealing drugs as well as prostituting himself. He goes, look, I have this body. Yeah. Someone else could make money off of it or I could. Brilliant. Uh, so you have to cut, you have to give him credit for really owning himself and getting what he needs. Yes. I love that line too. Yeah. So finally we have Sam and Tara who are I also know. flirting around this idea and it's interesting because in the commentary, Alan mentions that they actually weren't quite sure what to do with Sam and Tara this season. Now, Sam, you know, has some stuff coming up, and I'm sure that some of that is because their stories are not as prominent in the book, so they didn't have the same guideline. Yeah. So he said, we just kind of threw them together, said, oh, why don't they sleep together? Because <laughs> they weren't quite sure what to do with them. Yeah. And what a happy accident, because what it is such accident. a oh, sort of heartbreaking and heartwarming <laughs> Yeah. Scene at the same time. 
I know. You know, Sam, I, you know, I, I'd love to throw to that moment where Tara asks, asks Sam, are you lonely? Are you lonely? Yes. I am. I am very, very lonely. And, you know, I think, I think Tara is too. You know, she and Sam are very similar. They both care so much for the people in their lives. Yes. And no one is really caring for them. And they're both pining yeah. over a stack house and can't <laughs> have a them stack house. and don't want to be vulnerable enough to go mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, in a way, it's a transactional sexual relationship because they make this deal that they're not going to let it affect their work. But mm-hmm. I, I love it because it's actually a promise to spend a little time letting someone else care for them and treat them yeah kindly uh, and 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 letting that be each other and, and even if it isn't true love in fact in many ways i think they're too similar for it to be a lasting relationship right but they both need something and they're both capable of giving it to each other in that moment and uh, yeah it's really quite lovely it is quite lovely and it's it's um the, it's so well acted yeah Right, because you see how they both just play with the idea and yeah. go for it, and then, and then when Sam finally says, "Okay," she goes, "Yeah." <laughs> Her response, "Yeah." I even like when she's sitting outside, and and obviously Tara gets the idea first, yeah, and he goes inside. Rutina does this wonderful thing where she she takes, takes the clip out of her hair, hair. Down. takes Wasn't her that hair down. Great. It's so simple and lovely, and it it telegraphs what she's thinking without being too obvious yes and it it just shows that moment of tara going i need this i'm gonna ask for what i need and she steps in and asks it's it's again i'm consistently impressed by rutina i know me too i I know it's whoever's on screen you know sam trammell right whoever's on screen i'm like i'm so impressed oh oh and him and her you know I think there's four or five actors I've ever seen who you can't catch them acting at all. Like Meryl Streep, we know she's acting. She's brilliant. She's the best. But I still do know she's acting. But like John Wayne, he's just seems to be there. Patricia Arquette is one that and it's Mm. a random list. My list of Mm. people who I can't catch acting. And Sam Trammell is one of those people. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's a fourth, um, Spencer Tracy, mm. right? So it's Sam Trammell, John Wayne, Patricia Arquette, and Spencer <laughs> yeah. Tracy. Right, good company, Sam. Right? It, he really just has ah, so truthful in the moment. Yes. There's something, you know, he's never pushing too hard. He's yeah. never telegraphing too much. He has a favorite line of mine this episode as well. Where, you know, they're all upset that uh, Marthaville's got a, a Starbucks, yes. uh, especially him. He goes, oh, no, am I going to have to get a cappuccino machine? And he has this great line uh, about vampires. You know what I really wish would come to Marthaville? Huh? Buffy. A blade. Or any one of those badass vampire killers who take care of Mr. Bill Compton. That's what I wish. That is such a great isn't that the writer being funny and yeah. crossing over to reality? Right. It places us in this world with just these key differences, which is that vampires are real. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, shall we move on to the magic? Yeah. It crosses over with the sex because there's, yeah. you know, Suki is the virgin is changing. Yes. So there's no no sex for Bill and Sookie this episode, but quite a lot of lead up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I think Sookie spends the episode questioning her choices. Um, yeah. And potentially because there's still some of Bill's blood in her system, she said and spends uh, quite a bit of it fantasizing and uh, masturbating as well. I know. I was hoping you'd say the M word. <laughs> Well, it's just quite a bit of it, so I don't think we can tiptoe around it. We really cannot tiptoe around the masturbating. Yeah, no. I know. And she, oh, there's so much. Where do we start, Deb? Because it, like well, five I, of my favorite lines are. I in know. This. Well, we start from the beginning, I think, which okay. is you know after this harrowing experience with the vamps at Bill's house, Ugh. he meets her out front of Grand's, 
And she's she keeps digging into there's even this wonderful little sound cue. Maybe we'll throw to it because it'll it'll be something Nathan did. Yeah. Why can't I hear your thoughts? Do you even have any thoughts? Oh, I have thoughts. So it's the music where she starts to try to listen to his thoughts and then can't, gets nothing. And he does this great little jarring effect to come out of that. And it's interesting because she covets that silence, right? That's part of why he's attractive to her. But she spends the whole episode talking about how it also scares her. Yes. She can't know. And she's so used to knowing. She can't know. Yeah. So she's asking him all of these questions about what makes him tick. How does his body work? Like she's trying to find a sign. She's trying to scully. (laughs) She's trying to scully. Why can't I hear you? Wait a minute. You don't breathe. Well, then how do you how do you exist? Why can't I hear your thoughts? Perhaps it's because I don't have brainwaves. Why not? Because I'm dead. No, you're not. You're standing here talking to me. I have no heartbeat. I have no need to breathe. There are no electrical impulses in my body. What animates you no longer animates me. What does animate you then? Blood? How do you digest it if nothing works? Magic. Oh, come on, Bill. I may look naive, but I'm not. And you, you need to remember that. You think that it's not magic that keeps you alive? Just because you understand the mechanics of how something works doesn't make it any less of a miracle. Which is just another word for magic. We're all kept alive by magic, Sucky. My magic's just a little different from yours, that's all. Oh my God, I'm crying. I'm literally so lovely. Like, that is so true. It's true. And beautiful. It takes us out again, right? Back to reality. Like, yeah. like we're watching a, a crazy vampire show and then all of a sudden Alan Ball reaches out of the screen and grabs me by the throat. And I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh, it's magic. Life is magic. Well, and even for someone like myself, who's, you know, more of a skeptic, more of a science you know, <laughs> focused person, I see that and I go... That that rings true for me just as it does as much as it does for you. Wow. Because yes, I love anatomy and, and the incredible miracle that is how our bodies work. Yeah. But at the end, that little spark of life, whatever that is, we yeah. have no explanation for. We don't. And so we all end up in the same place, which is just being in awe of life. Yes. And and when you fall in love, that really does. Yeah. Happen like Gran yeah. says, Gran, because she says, you know, Suki says something like, my mind is telling me to, <laughs> you know, not hang out with this guy. And right. Well, then she wants to say, I'm battling between my mind and like my libido or yeah. something. But Gran goes, heart. And I think Suki's like, yeah. sure. Yeah. We'll go with that word. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. She kind of cuts her off. Heart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Gran is full of all kinds of words of wisdom, this app. Uh, again, you and I pulled the same one if you want to introduce it. Yes, yes. It's kind of, kind of surrounded by this humor yeah. about Starbucks. You know, yeah. this it's the big thing because Sam mentioned it and now <laughs> Suki mentioned it to Gran. And it's in the newspaper. It's in the newspaper. And then Gran says, I just think there is a purpose for everything that God creates, whether it's a unique ability or a cup of overpriced coffee with too much milk or a vampire. God will reveal that purpose when the time is right. And there's again Alan Ball reaching into my living room. God will reveal that purpose in time. So much of life is unknowable. Most of it. In the first world, I think we really forget that. And whatever our spiritual beliefs are, whatever we call God, that sort of faith that God will reveal the purpose in time just brings me to my knees. Yeah. You know, it goes back to, to what I think we spoke about with Charlene in episode one. 
which is this idea that she's separating vampires from the unholy. Yes. That vampires are just as much created by whatever it is that you believe as anything else. Uh, And it's just a lovely, open-hearted way to look at life. Yeah. Um, Truly magic. There's there's something fascinating to something magical in even just the way their love is depicted. Her fantasies, Mm -hmm. just like when she met Bill, live in this very romance novel. Very much. (laughs) The music, the lights, the costume. You know, and and maybe some of that is speaking to Sookie's naivete about men and sex. Right. But I think it is also this this heightened the way we feel when Mm. we're young and Mm. in love, especially Mm -hmm. the first time that, it. you know, there are these places in our lives where you just have a glance with someone and in your mind you create an entire relationship (laughs) with them. Yes. That never comes to pass. Right. But, you know, in this case, perhaps it will. And I had a little side note about movie magic. Yeah. Because the it, it's endlessly to me magical when we're on the set, what we do and what everyone does. So that <laughs> house, when yeah. we see that exterior of Grant's house, it never ceases to amaze me that they built that house. Right. And then I said to my husband, like, well, the outside and the front hall. So when Suki drives up to that, walks up to the Compton house, another house they built, yep. and she walks up, it would be shot at Greer during the day. Well, I'm, I'm going to I'm jump in, actually. Yeah. The exterior of Compton house was yeah. not built till later. So actually, oh. that scene of her touching herself on Bill's stoop <laughs> is oh. in Louisiana. Okay. Uh, and then and they you'll matched notice it. Well, sort of. You'll notice as you keep watching, especially in the upcoming seasons, you'll see the stoop looks a little different. It does. Uh, than it does there. Interesting. But you'll notice because you're you're not wrong, Kristen, that also we've got writer strike is right after this episode. Oh, right, right. So this episode is Louisiana weeks before. It's oh. L.A. during shooting. And right. it's months later after the writer's strike. So you're going to see, watch closely, you'll see Sookie's hair change yes. when she's... On the porch, she's got one type of hair. When you see her from the inside looking through the window, her hair's a little different. In the scene with Gran, I think, because Lois had a job. She was on stage uh, working on a play, and so they had to bring her back later. were different in the middle. Okay. So you'll find little inconsistencies there, which, again, I I urge people, don't look at that as a mistake or a goof. This is evidence of what it takes to make a show like this yes it it's yeah it, it, it's actually more interesting than a goof they work so way. hard on continuity so it's hard daggering so this is this is just a way to see how hard everyone is working and what's so interesting about talking to gary and nathan is i mm. really this episode i worked my balls off i have no <laughs> more balls trying to really focus on the music, Mm. really focus. And I would keep almost becoming hypnotized and then be so into the show and then go, oh, damn it. And I would stop (laughs) and rewind to watch just the music. It's so seamlessly done right? that it's almost impossible to take it apart but it is informing us to such an enormous degree. And how they do that together mm-hmm. is so interesting. How they, I just love, I can't wait to hear how the heck this happens. Right. There's specific tones for the Sookie Bill romance. Yep. Right? It's really fascinating when they use a song, when they, it, it's uh-huh. really um, informs us, it creates that magic layer to the audience. Yeah, it definitely it definitely is its own layer of magic mm-hmm. consistently running, especially since Nathan is live scoring as he himself feels it as an audience member. So he is yeah. simultaneously helping you understand what the emotional content is at any moment. Yeah. While he's feeling it based on what he's seeing. Interesting. So yeah. interesting how much hard work creates magic in quotes, right? Exactly, exactly. And now for a quick bite. Did 
Did you catch that? This episode, we catch a glimpse into two of our residents' iceboxes. Jason Stackhouse is all stocked up in beer and plenty of ready whip. Wonder what he needs that for. And local entrepreneur Lafayette keeps things classy in his mini fridge with Pellegrino, plenty of V, and a single serving of cherry jello. This has been the fridges of Bontomp County. So this episode, we start to meet some more vampires. Mm. Uh, Bill is not the only vampire in Bon Tom. So we start to learn a little bit more about vampire society and their mm-hmm. politics. And there's a whole system, a whole hierarchy at play. Yes. This is and, and a wide range of ideologies, right? Like just because you're a vampire doesn't mean you agree with Nan Flanagan and the authority and all of their plans for coming out of the coffin. That opens up a whole new world. It's the first time. Is it the first time we hear about Eric? Yep. Right. So they mentioned they mentioned a sheriff, Eric, Uh um, as a a power. (laughs) Sheriff, Eric. (laughs) Um, But Malcolm, the sort of elder vampire of this nest, doesn't seem that intimidated by that idea. So then they mention a her, a yeah. very mysterious her, uh-huh. which book readers and probably are correct to assume it might be an early nod to Sophie Ann because mm-hmm. she is in the book. Yes. But I also wonder about Nan Flanagan, right? Yes. So Nan is leading this charge of, of you know, toe the party line, as Malcolm would say. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, she's also someone who could potentially, you know, come down on a vampire who is not playing by the rules. Yeah. And we're going to see both of them, Mm -hmm. you know, coming up and, um, you know, this, (laughs) this Mr. Mainstream bill, (laughs) yo, Mr. Mainstream. (laughs) He was so cool from the Merlot's perspective, right? Like this cool vampire walks. I mean, he couldn't be cooler. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, He's like we realize he's he's kind of lame. He's kind of <laughs> lame per per these other vampires, you know? Right. Uh yeah, it's so he's funny. He's square. He's super square. Exactly. He's super square. When he talks about this, you know, this difference that that vampires that live in nests become crueler yeah. because they're more in touch with this sort of primitive you know, bestial instinct mm-hmm. and vampires mm-hmm. that are loners like himself hold on to more of their humanity. Yeah. But Bill seems sad and broody all the time. Yeah. And Diane and Malcolm, and I'm forgetting the other vampire's name right Me now, too. but they Me seem too. like they're having a ton of fun. They're having the time of their lives. Oh, one but funny they are mom- also scary. Yeah. Go ahead. But yeah. they're terrifying. I love the mm-hmm. plastic couch. Oh my god! Right, and the big like the the tumblers of blood that they're drinking. Is yes, very cheeky. And we're going to be delving into that next. Yes, we'll get into blood. Right, we're getting into blood. We're going to get into these set designs. How amazing mm-hmm. they are! We we um, also see Hep D. Right for the first time. Mentioned. Right, we haven't seen that. I'm not sure we heard the term breather before. Yeah, that that vampires have their own right. They've got their slang own slang for us. Yeah, this is a whole yeah. world now. Yeah. Well, and then it's interesting, too. So there are these other rules, mm-hmm. like the the bill claiming Sookie. Sookie is mine, right? Yeah. So these, it's funny to me that these lawless vamps who yeah. don't toe the party line and think he's, you know, why are they so respectful right. of this claiming of Sookie? Because yeah. we don't hear that there's any magic involved. It's just sort of vampire code, right. which they abide by. That's funny. It's interesting. So I'm, I'm really curious, you know, what are these different party lines maybe that vampires follow? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we're going to find out later that there's the Magister. So there are consequences mm-hmm. within the vampire community separate from human politics and and those consequences. Yes. So perhaps this idea of if if you were to go against a vampire's claim, there might be consequences for that within the vampire world. Right, because he established that they're older and stronger than he is. Yep. So why do they respect him? It's interesting. Yeah. It's sort of like prison rules or feral cat colony, you know, <laughs> that there is some sort of structure, even though it doesn't look like it. Right. 
Yeah, I found that that really opened up our world, and the Mr. Mainstream really made both of us laugh. Well, it's going to be great because when we finally get to Jessica coming in, um, you know, Jessica Jessica finds Bill really lame. She thinks he has all this power and all this, you know, fun that he could have, and he's not taking advantage of it. And, you know, it is fun to see us, to see Mm -hmm. how the show switches our perspective of characters depending on who is around them. Yes. Because you could also really admire Bill for, uh, you know, trying to coexist and and yes. make the best of it but then you know diane uh that's that's the name there diane oh yeah um, diane diane uh you know she accuses him of denying who he is yeah that he used to be fun and that not everyone i think as she says wants to dress up and play human yes which is a, like a valid point i think as well i guess that once we meet eric which i'm really you know of course drawn to skipping ahead and i'll try not to but like he is the bad boy yeah. Right. He's the foil to Bill's mainstreamer. Yeah. He he is. He is. A little Starsky and Hutch going on there. I don't know why I said that. But um, <laughs> but, you know, it it does make it they do that. It's really written so well because it makes us from Sookie's perspective, understand why she's willing to toy with the idea of a relationship with Bill because she mm. did almost die twice. You know, right. Each episode. And he's he's one of the good ones. Yeah. And he's one of the good ones because each episode is one day in her life. Pretty much. So this has been like one hell of a three days. (laughs) Right. So he has to be clinging to his humanity. He's like the perfect, Mm -hmm. the perfect bad boy because he's not completely right. He can kill you, but he won't. He won't. (laughs) Well, and that's such a tricky balance to play as an actor. You want to be cool and scary, but also be true to the character, which has this other mainstream streak in him. And so you're looking for all the help you can get. And yeah. You get that with your setting. You get it with the writing. You get it with the costumes. But we're going to be talking with Nathan Barr and Gary Calamar, yes. who are an essential layer to that, yes. which is the music. And and that music can help support this story especially in those complicated moments where you're trying to sell two ideas at the same time. Boy, they really do. The, the, the soundtrack really pulls us towards darker, lighter romance, mm-hmm. um, sex. I noticed fear. in that first fear. fear. Yes. It really, I, I urge people to listen to the, watch the episodes again. Well, trying to remember to listen because it's so brilliantly layered into this tapestry we're being manipulated and we're not aware of the huge piece that the soundtrack is playing so let's learn a little bit more from nathan and gary themselves So, I mean, I think we'll start off by saying thank you. This is also helpful for us to have both of you on because even though you guys had different jobs that you were working on, I think Kristen and I found that we were curious about a lot of the same aspects as well as what is that collaboration. So thank you for coming together. I think it'll be interesting to hear how you kind of come from separate places and end up creating something together. So one thing that's so interesting for me, uh, Deb, too, I think, is that we don't really know what other people do you know so (laughs) right like we're all professionals so we just show up and do our thing no one says to like Deb you know on the set so Deb how did you what's your backstory for today you just hit your mark and you do your thing yeah Nathan so if we start with like in your words what would be your description of your job your process once you're brought onto a series I I mean I can just speak to it quick uh because what you mentioned is is true and it's pretty funny so i the reason i ended up in the in the room to interview with alan and everyone was because they had um the editor of the pilot um had used my score to a film called hostile um in the pilot and um so i saw the pilot and i was like wow this is amazing but i felt like the score for hostile was totally wrong for the show okay 
And so I just had like we all you I'd you have two to probably, agree, frankly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you two probably with auditions too. Like yeah. it, it's oftentimes like you have those moments where you're like, fuck it, I'm just gonna do I, I probably shouldn't do this or say this, yeah. but I'm gonna do it yes. and it's what gets you the gig. Yes. Yeah. And so for, for me, like I he said, So what did you think of the pilot? I said, I love the pilot, but I think the music you have for me is totally wrong in there. And and here's what I would do instead, you know? And so uh, I kind of pitched to him this idea of 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 not um um, not not needing to be too southern or regional with the score, ah. um, and more about the emotional sort of mm-hmm. part of it. And um, and then I I got the job, and then someone from HBO later said, yeah, we'd never had a composer like actually shoot down their own work during a, an audition <laughs> for the for the show before. So it was like one of those funny moments where that worked out. I, I've certainly had other moments where I've done something similar, and and then I don't get the show. But right. <laughs> but, but in this case, it was great. So yeah, yeah. I, I I create the score for for the show, um, the underscore separate from the songs, which Gary will talk to you about. Um, and uh, oftentimes people are looking for uh, um, the score to emotionally support you know uh, the characters and define sort of the atmosphere of the show and. And uh, so that's, yeah, that's, that's kind of why I was brought on board. And, and I, I could tell right away it was going to be a special experience because of Alan and yeah. his warmth and the way he welcomed us to the show. And, and yeah. So. I know. I oh, think yeah. we so, are all like yeah. Alan Ball, HBO. <laughs> I'm cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm in. And you yeah. haven't worked with Alan before, Nate? Before this? No. Uh, no okay. Yeah. No, I never worked with him before. No. And yeah. Gary, you had done Six Feet Under. I was very fortunate to work on The Great Six Feet Under, along yes. with my uh, co-supervisor at the time, Thomas Bolovich. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I guess I came in and sort of supplied that Southern uh, regionality that uh, Nate go. was referring to with, with the songs. And um, it's funny that, um, you know, after working on Six Feet Under, which was a little bit more serious um sophisticated maybe musically song song wise and i was giving alan some you know fairly serious songs uh, initially just before we even saw anything just kind of starting to put some folders together and alan said hey gary this is a this is a show about vampires let's just have some fun with this (laughs) and that kind of that kind of set this set the scene and i think that the songs that we used you know, had a great uh, mix of menace and regionality mm-hmm. and humor and wit. And, um, you know, it's funny. We were, you said you were talking to Jace. My yeah. first job, my first mission on the show was to replace Jace's song, which was Tempt In. Alan had found it. Yeah. Um, and the more we listened to it and the more we listened to the alternatives, we just said, this is the song. You know, it's just got the right you know mix of as i said menace and humor and yeah and uh darkness and uh we could not replace it and we loved it you know and everybody at hbo loved it and we just said what are we trying to replace this for it's it's perfect <laughs> that's so interesting those words you use menace humor darkness yes. yeah. we, i'll just just a really quick anecdote yeah uh, gary's right like um uh billy gibbons from zz top is a friend of mine and so billy and i wrote a song as a possible option before it was totally decided that this was the song. Uh, And, and so we actually wrote a song. It's never seen the light of day. It was a great great song and Alan really loved it. But I think at the end of the day, by that time, everyone was like, look, this is great. But Jason's song is like so perfect here. We're going to stick with that. So, yeah. 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 Well, that'll have to be uh, in the long lost vaults, maybe someday. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Someone will give us permission to play the long lost Nathan Barr theme song (laughs) for True Blood. How is it when you're first you play songs, you have to know about them, but then also you both write music and suggest it. And how does that work? Do you feel more like oh, I hope my song gets in. And how do, do you feel more uncomfortable suggesting they put your song in? <laughs> well, I am not a songwriter the way Nate is a songwriter. I think I've written maybe 20 songs in, in my life. Um, I call myself sort of a weekend songwriter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have written a couple of great songs, don't get me wrong. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but I'm, not, uh, I'm not a musician, certainly like Nate is. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, uh, you know, if we want to talk about the uh, Boot and Rally song, yes. um, you know, as you know, as the, the, the fans know, every uh, episode was named after one of the songs in the episode. Mm-hmm. 
So this episode came up. Uh, it was a new writer. I don't recall who it was, but uh, she wrote an episode called Boot and Rally. And she did have a song called Boot and Rally, but it was just not right for the show. It was not right for the, you know, it did not fit the, the vibe of, of the show. So we talked about it and I said, well, we could change the name of the show of the episode or we can, you know, write a song called Boot and Rally. And, uh, you know, we can reach out to some songwriters and, uh, you know, I'm a bit of a songwriter myself. So um, <laughs> I and actually a little bit of backstory. Iggy Pop had reached out to us to to me, Iggy Pop's people to say he was a fan of the show. And if ever we could use one of his songs, you oh know, he'd be gosh, wide open I didn't to that. Know that. Yeah, that yeah. Was Snoop Dogg wrote a Suki song. We had a lot of fans in the music that's world. That's so yes, cool. Absolutely. Yeah, so that's, that's right. That's a little backstory. So when this thing came up, me and my my partner, my music coordinator, James Combs, we said, let's let's try and write a song called Boot and Rally and see if, if it flies. And we wrote it and it turned out pretty good. And we played it for Alan and we said, and Alan liked it. And I said, well, you know, Iggy has reached out to us. Maybe Iggy will record it. And we reached out to Iggy's people, and uh, he said, "Sure, I'll be happy to record it." Just, I mean, I think he liked the song too. It definitely fit into his wheelhouse. Okay, right. Um, and we threw it together very quickly. He was in Italy. He recorded his part in Italy. We had uh, we did the backing track here with a producer friend of ours, John Wood, and. Um, and it all it all came together it came yeah. together it, was, it almost didn't come together because we had to have it done by a certain time and there was, was some wondering. payments that had to be was made say, and yeah. um so um so yeah thankfully it came true it came together and uh you know certainly a feather in my cap to have a song that i co-wrote that uh, iggy pop recorded but um so cool. but yeah it's it well, yeah. it it amazing and I think fans probably don't understand. It's a pretty quick turnaround for a TV show. Um, it's not like you have like films as much time kind of as you want afterward. We have to get them out there and sometimes shows will start airing before you're done with the season. So you're really on a timeline. Um, so to that, Nathan, uh, can you share with us a little bit about what your thoughts were artistically going into this score what is it leo he mentioned uh putting in that um regional flair with the songs but you were doing sort of a, a contrast to that what were your thoughts on yeah i mean like um so obviously i think alan's biggest um um concern with the pilot was just like how do we set up bill and Sookie Mm-hmm. to really propel us through the first season, you know, as the, as the, as the central protagonist and love interest. And so like, um, it was really about figuring out what their theme was at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so, uh, I wrote, uh, I think most of the first episode and then Alan came up to my studio in Topanga and he had, had not heard anything yet. And I was super nervous for the same reason <laughs> you guys have expressed just yeah. we, we all really love and, and are in awe of Alan yes. and, uh, yeah. He came in and sat down on the couch, and and I played him um, that the cue piece of music cue we called hair clip, um, which is where she's she and Bill are first oh, wow. um, kissing outside. Yes, lovely. And I and I played the cue, and um, I was like shaking. I was just terrified, uh. and, and then I it ended, and he's like, "Oh my god!" He's like, "It's absolutely perfect," uh. and I was like, and "That that like really." Um, set the stage for what was to become such a really lovely, wonderful collaboration. And it was, and, 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 and stumbling on that theme was just like one of those, you know, things like you just sit there and I had my guitar and just was trying, I tried a million different things, none of which worked. And then all of a sudden my fingers just found this thing that became their theme and it was really beautiful. On so. the cello, yeah. were you working on the cello? And cello too. Uh-huh. And cello well, and guitar. Cello yeah. and guitar. Okay. Alan mentioned yeah. that a big piece of the scoring for this was that there was no electronic music mm-hmm. and then also that you have a large collection of mm-hmm. sort of older instruments that mm-hmm. aren't used as much anymore and that mm-hmm. that makes so much sense to me to actually for a story about creatures that could be thousands of years yeah. old to, to use yeah. instruments from other periods. Yeah, absolutely. I have like all sorts of instruments that you don't hear that often. Yeah. And so True Blood was such a rich palette of, of characters and creatures and 
nothing, nothing was off limits. You know, yeah. every, every weird instrument I have found a corner of the show to exist in at some <laughs> point, you know, it was even the one was made really, out of human yeah. bones or a human. Bone. Yeah. No, you know, I think I got that. <laughs> Kristen after. did her research. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I, I think I got that after. No, maybe I did. No, no I had it. it. It, it made it. Yeah. I made it in there with some of the, um, um, uh, crazy season two stuff oh yeah the main ads like some of the, <laughs> the orgies and all, oh, that, yeah. Yeah, all that stuff that bitch yeah, yeah, yeah. Pair of shoes. Got the bone instrument. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. that's so funny yeah because as a vegan i love yeah. that i was like you know so many instruments are made out of animal and ivory and what yeah. have you and i'm like oh yes. finally you know there's a lot of human bones we could <laughs> use <laughs> that's hilarious oh, yeah, yeah totally yeah yeah so so. From both of you, then, how, as as you and Alan and Gary and Nate, all of you guys are working together, how do you decide what is score, what is soundtrack, you know, what's a song, uh, and, and how to sort of transition between those two? Is there a rule of thumb about it, or are you just a feeling about it? I think it's yeah, sometimes pretty, pretty clear. I mean, we sit down, yeah. we have a spotting session where we sit down with me and Nate and Alan mm-hmm. and the writer of the episode and... Uh, Bruce Dunn, the post producer, and we would just go through the episode scene by scene by scene. And, you know, by that time, um, usually the editor would have put in temp music or a temp song or a temp score or some of Nathan's, you know, previously the U score. And it's fairly uh, clear, you know, where a song should go and where a score should go. And I mean, there's sometimes there's discussion and sometimes there's that question do we want to put a song here or score but um mm-hmm. generally but gary as, were you, you must have been so excited though when you saw a show set in fantasia and merlots right because right. you knew you knew with two major bars in the show right there was going to be a ton of music <laughs> right yes for to, absolutely for you to pick Yes. Oh my gosh, yeah. and i had never thought of that that's what i'm saying i have no idea how yeah. this show is made <laughs> and a lot of that's times, fantastic. In, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. And a lot of times in the in the script, you know, there will be, you know, as as yeah. they said, there'll be a scene at Merlots, and you know, we had a live band play. We had uh, C.C. Adcock and his band play in one of the Merlot scenes, uh, some live music. Um, yeah. So yeah, it, uh, it 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 you know, and fortunately, Alan loves to use a lot of songs, you know, in all the shows yeah. in Six Feet Under, in True Blood, and you know, and, and we and Nate and I both worked on a show called Here and Now and Uncle Frank, mm-hmm. and Alan loves to use a lot of songs and a lot of music, so that's great for me as a music supervisor, and uh, you know, challenging sometimes, um, right? But uh, but he's the the perfect guy to work with, you know, as a, as a music supervisor. Yeah. Also, another great thing that we had the opportunity to do was to record new new songs for early show. <laughs> uh, Beck wrote a song for us. Uh, Nick Cave did a cover song for us. Yep. Uh, Lucinda Williams and Elvis Costello recorded a song together. Um, so that is a lot of fun for me as a music yeah. supervisor and also just makes it nice and fresh for the audience and, you know, for a soundtrack. You know, our soundtrack, we had three soundtracks that all were Grammy nominated. And, yeah. you know, a lot of it is because we had, you know, new, fresh songs that were not, you know, on two other soundtracks or, you know, it was exactly. you know, exclusive to, to our show. Oh, that's yeah. And so it's also like, that's so exciting when you have a show like True Blood, like before Game of Thrones, you know, there was True Blood, you know? <laughs> yes. And yep. it's like, it's like it, it was for you, you too as well. Like it was just like, so what an incredible experience to be a part of the show that became part of the cultural phenomenon. Like it's yeah. so fast, right? Like I think yeah. like. Within like three episodes, I feel like I was hearing about people at pop-up parties all over, like meeting up to watch the episode. And it's so cool to be a part of something like that. Yeah. Production and post-production, right? There's no real communication. Yeah. Like we don't get to meet you all. Right. Maybe at the premiere quickly. And yeah. Gary, I think will agree. Like we we have these intense, like, um, you know, relationships with all the characters in the uh, show where we're writing right? and we come up with these themes and then, and then we meet the people and they're like, okay, yeah, you're the composer. And I'm like, I've literally been watching you like for a thousand <laughs> oh, hours. Right. And it's this like total disconnect, yeah. you know, which is obvious. Like they yeah, don't know me, but, but, so it's, but it is funny. funny. That's so true, yeah. right? Because like I yeah. kind of feel like I know Brad Pitt a little bit just from going to the theater every other year. <laughs> so I can only imagine. And then, right, we would see you at these massive of events where we're <laughs> nervous, we're fried, we've just met 600 people, 
And, exactly. and then we see you and go, hi, hi. And then it's two seconds later, <laughs> we oh, yeah, it's, swept it's along. It's, it's so funny. Yeah. But it is, it is amazing the idea that you have this strong emotional relationship to an mm-hmm. image on the screen. Yes. Yeah, totally. That is in some way you have spent more time. Poss- you've spent possibly more time with Jessica Hamby than I have. Right. Yes. Ways, it's funny. Know? It's in funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and and, in, and in, in, in an intense way as well. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, mm-hmm. not just casual viewing. You're really trying to right. feel something out. So that's, that's a really remarkable relationship. That is totally. so interesting. Nate, for you, as you're writing music, were there, you know, when you saw something in a script that particularly excited you, you know, themes that you were excited to make, like, again, fight scenes versus love scenes mm-hmm. versus, yeah, what sort of stretched you maybe or, or you got excited about? I mean, um, I don't, I never read the scripts. Um, I just, okay. I, I be, it because for me, I want to experience the show as a fan. So the first time I would ever see the show or know what was happening was when we spotted. Huh. Um, and that way I could enjoy it as a fan and then sort of approach it um, as a composer. And it's just, I don't know, it just felt like I, 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 I wanted to be a little bit of a fanboy about the, the, the music. I love that. Yeah, which is cool. Yeah. That's cool. And so, um, um, yeah, no, I think like just like any time, um, obviously as a film composer, TV composer, what I do is very much background music. So mm-hmm. most people won't notice it. They would definitely notice the scene in a different way if the music wasn't there. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, so it really those moments in the show where the score was really featured um, was th- those are the moments as a composer you really look for that you get excited about because the score like pops its head up for a minute mm-hmm. and like becomes a really right there in the scene in everyone's face. And it's, that's, that's where it's, it's cool. What might make a moment like that happen? You know, what are, what are you well, seeing that would cause Oh, like yeah. definitely like Sookie running dressed in white, you know, <laughs> <laughs> In season one, I think, to Bill, right? Yep. Isn't it? Was that what it yeah. was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She got dressed yeah. in her beautiful, flowing, gothic nighty and exactly. ran across the graveyard. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So so like that, that for example, is a moment where the yeah. score, when you're watching spotting, I, I was excited. I'm like, oh, that's going to be awesome to write that. And, um, and and then there's a lot of like droney, dark stuff under dialogue, yeah. which is also fun to write and and nip and tuck around the dialogue but mm. it's it's you just know that it's really not going to get noticed um funnily enough like one of the themes i wrote that gets the most little fan mail here and there <laughs> was for lafayette and jesus ah. it's this little like it's this little like four or eight bar guitar thing and i just every year like i'll get a couple emails from people saying oh my god i love this where can i find this and I need oh, yeah. to upload it at some point because it's not on yeah. the soundtrack. But it's it's so nice to to. I never, when I wrote that, thought it was anything. It was just like I had no time, and I just did it. And it's so nice to see it, that it's moving some people. You know, these years later, uh, it's Isn't really that nice? lovely. I know. Yeah, I know. That's why we were so excited to do this podcast and highlight what you do and all the people that made the show so special and get new viewers. Mm. Because it was quite something that the talented people that came together, it's staggering, the talent that put this thing together. It is. It is. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty amazing. And that does, uh, for some reason, bridge me to, I, I, this is, I don't know how else to say this. Let's talk about your organ, Nathan. Um, <laughs> I literally don't know how else to say that. <laughs> Sounds like a line from True Blood. I know. I'm so self-conscious of like talking about it in that. So I always say pipe organ. Pipe, and then you're pipe organ. I know because I know there's like 1,366 pipes. It's not that much better, Nate. Right? Yeah, that's true. I know, yeah, Let's talk not. about my pipe organ. True, that pipe is organ. not better. It's not that much better. <laughs> and the whole studio is literally built around the pipe organ. And the smallest pipe is like, you know, that big. And the biggest one is... Um, 16 feet long oh and 12 feet high. My goodness. Um, and it's really, yeah. So we do silent film concerts there. I use it yeah. in everything. I just, any, I sneak it in anywhere I can because yeah. I mean, even in uncle Frank, actually, like I told Alan, like, I'd love to use the, the pipe organ. And I think the minute someone hears pipe organ, they really think of like Phantom of the Opera kind of thing, right. which I, which I hate. Right. And so I, I did use it in a very a traditional way and Alan loved it. He was so mm-hmm. excited about it. Um, in the score. So yeah, 
So yeah, but, uh, yeah you can get yeah. a diverse sound out of an organ. You know, it I doesn't mean, just it, have to sound like church. It can no, sound, it's and it has yeah. a lot of percussion. You know, like yeah. it has bells and drums and marimbas and yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's cool. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of that, do either of you like musicals? I like musicals. Yeah, I like musicals. But uh, actually, no, I don't think I'm a big fan of musicals. I'm a small fan of musicals. Small fan. I'm a small yeah. fan of I'm, musicals. Yeah. Actually, Nate, speaking of controversial subjects, wasn't there some talk about a uh, <laughs> True Blood musical? Oh, yes. Can you spill, yeah, the, beans, yeah. spill the tea on that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was. Um, as a matter of fact, Alan uh, came to New York and saw a version of it, which he which he really loved. Um, this is a couple years ago now. Um, Lizbeth Scott, uh, who's a collaborator of mine, um, we worked on it for a couple of years, and then the pandemic hit. Uh, we had just had a table read. Everything shut down. Right. So truthfully, things are a bit up in the air right now with that. Because yeah. um, I think Stephen was interested. I mean, of course, he's a musical guy. I saw him yeah, in Chicago sing, yeah. at, at the Hollywood yeah, Bowl. He, Sound of Music on TV. Yeah. He oh, sang, yes. um He sang one of the early demos, actually, that, that, yeah, good. that um, I then showed to Alan to... Uh, uh, and he was excited about the idea of, of, of taking a stab at it. It's a, it's, you know, musical theater is like one of the trickiest, in my mm. opinion, genres. It's, it's, so it's a really difficult nut to crack uh, mm-hmm. as far as story and song and everything. So we have, a, we have a couple different versions that we explored and um, you know, we were, we were continuing on our way when, when everything kind of fell apart with the world. So. You've both mentioned multiple times, the Bill and Sookie romance is kind of the, the heart of this. And, and moments that you got to really express your talent in. And, and were there words that went with that? Because I love this menace, humor, darkness. Did you just feel it when you were sensing the music that would go with it? Or were you also thinking of themes? Because you mentioned the word theme, but were there words that went with it? No, not with, no, there weren't. Mm-hmm. It was just instrumental. Yeah, just instrumental. The only time we... But I mean, in your own head to create, were you thinking immortal, timeless? No, I was just like thinking, wow, I really want to and do, you know, relate to what these two people are experiencing. Yeah. You know? Yes. Like, and, and then just and then just going for that with the music. Like, how do we yeah. how do we accentuate that even more and, and, and make the connection even stronger than it already is? Yeah. Between these two. And, you know, getting back to Jace's song, you know, his song was the template for all the music that, that I picked, you know, throughout. You know, like I say, it just had that right mix of, of those, uh, you know, categories there. And um, that just opened the door for me. When that, when that got picked as the song, then I kind of knew, you know, a, a good direction to, to go in for the rest, of the rest of the series. Oh, interesting. So it was more than just the title song. It was a... It set the bar. It yeah. did set the bar for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, wonderful. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Well, thank you both so much. Uh, yeah. We're so excited to talk to you, because especially at the beginning, because we hope now, as people continue to rewatch, they'll pay more attention yes. to when score comes uh, through. And I'm, looking, certain I'm looking forward to rewatching myself. I'm going to get yeah. right back into yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, my. You guys are, you, you are both, like, so extraordinary. <laughs> like, like, it's, yeah, extra- <laughs> really. Oh, my God. Are you kidding? Well, thank you so much. So good to see you. Thank you. Again, that was so fun. Oh, so much fun. I love finding out all those little details about how they do what they do, yes. what their process is. That when Nathan said he he didn't read the scripts, he just watched it as a fan. That's yes. so and that he unique. played everything and originally for every episode. Incredible. And Gary telling us his inspiration for the songs that he picked yeah. and how every episode is named after a song mm-hmm. and they found that song. It's just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just I've, I'm learning so much. As and we where do this the process. human? Yes, me too. And the human bone instrument when human that was bone played. Instrument. <laughs> <laughs> 
But we've got uh, next week, we'll be digging into some more of the visuals moving beyond the uh, audio. And we're going to be talking to Suzuki Inkerslev, who is the production designer for True Blood. So all of the sets that you see, the way that they are dressed. uh, So excited to speak with her. It'll also be the first time we visit a little place called Fantasia. Hmm, that sounds familiar. And Doesn't it, it, it? Might be the first episode that maybe the tall Swede is in. And maybe and perhaps maybe, maybe me. Maybe Pam. Maybe fan Pam. favorite Pam. Uh, so we'll go we'll go deep into your first day on set. Yeah. And I can't wait to talk about it. Oh gosh, that was that was a Day. Oh my gosh! I, <laughs> I, I, we could do the whole episode on that, but we'll talk. Well, to is, yes, that you. is for next week. Yes. So, thanks for listening, Trubies. Subscribe and follow wherever you listen to your podcasts, and we'll see you next week on Truest Blood. Y'all come back now, you hear. Truest Blood is produced by Safe Haven for HBO Max. Executive producers are Janina Gavonkar, Kristen Bauer, and Deborah Ann Wool. Our producer is Gabrielle Gallon, and our audio producer is Christopher Wool. Our theme song was recorded just for this podcast by Jace Everett. Additional music was composed by Timo Chen. And remember, you can watch all of the original episodes of True Blood on HBO Max. Hacks is coming back, and so is the official Hacks podcast. With us, your hosts. I'm Paul W. Downs. I'm Jen Statsky. And I'm Lucia Yellow. We're the creators and showrunners. Each week on the podcast, we'll break down the new episodes. We'll also have special guests, cast and crew from the show, like Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart. Hacks Season 3 is available to stream now on Max. Be sure to listen wherever you get your podcasts or listen directly on Max.